So, hello, welcome, and thank you so much for having time to do this with me today. And um, we had a little bit of a chat first to kind of reconnect because we don't live in the same city anymore. And even when we did, I think we probably didn't hang out enough because in my, in my experience, having two tattooers try to like even meet up for a, a tea while living in the same city, let alone you live in London and I live here is like almost impossible. It's crazy. Um, thank you for coming to... Yeah, give me your time and, and share about what you and I connect on. I was just thinking, um, well, first of all, would you mind tell us your name? Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I go by, my name is Ant. And yeah, I'm based in London. As you say, then yeah, it's just nice to, to have a catch up. Yeah. And uh, could I ask you your pronouns that you're using? Yeah, I use uh, they, them. Great. Uh, the one that feels the more right at this time. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that for you. Mm. Uh, we were just chatting, kind of segueing into all the things at once, which is kind of the way that these conversations go, very cyclical, mm -hmm. and they kind of build off one another. We were just talking about that queer tattoo book, and I was wondering if you had gotten it. And it's amazing to know that, because you, you had a project going on, and you were reaching out to people to try and contribute to a, a book of ritual tattooing. Could you elaborate and tell us where you're at with that? Did you put it on pause? I definitely did put it on pause. I think like when COVID hit and lockdown hit, it kind of like forced me to reconsider the way I was going to do the project. Because I initially wanted to travel around and meet people and, you know, almost like ethnographic material collecting type of project and um, well traveling didn't happen so much and I tried to think about a different way to do it and doing it like via zoom or like online interview or whatever maybe like didn't feel as right to some extent for this specific project um, and yeah, I just found it very hard to focus on writing also the past few years. So it is on hold for now. Not saying I'm not going to go back to it, but yeah, not sure when I will. <laughs> How many of those in-person interviews did you do? Because I know you and I did one. Yeah. You came, you were visiting Mm -hmm. my studio and who uh, else have you done one with have you done an, is it under wraps should we not know about it is it meant to be no it's not i mean it's not really under wraps it's just yeah i don't really know what's gonna happen with it if anything <laughs> so at this stage but um, i did talk to a few people face to face which were anka in um in new york at the time and jono from black Harris from a Brooklyn shop that closed down since. Um, and then I talked to uh, Nathan, who runs uh, Witch City Inc. In, in Salem, and also a space called Stars and Snake. And um, at the time I also talked to, to Keleno, um, who else? 
think there's those were the oh and also Henry Ablack as well met up with Henry uh, while traveling in the states last time I was there. How did you get to know these people from guesting or from them guesting in London or the internet? The internet, I think. Yeah, the internet, basically. The internet and like common friends, common connections. Uh, yeah, those are the yeah, those people I met this way. And a lot of them, the intersections with you is very much around tattooing and ritual and magic and. Yeah. Spaces. Yeah, basic, yeah, basically, like the project was kind of to have an overview of like r- ritual and magic crossovers with contemporary Western tattooing, mostly. And that was the project for the book at the time. Uh, yeah, it was coming from, I guess, like, uh, yeah, that angle. And, uh, yeah. Did you line up with the publisher or like funding or other people to help with the book? I had some talk with some publishers, but nothing formal, like nothing, like no, no contract got signed. (laughs) Mm. Did you feel pretty good about the people you were talking with? Did it seem possible? Yeah. 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 yeah, I think so. Uh, but it was a few years ago now, so that will need to be another discussion, I think, if that was to start again. Yeah. yeah. That feels like a very personal project. It doesn't necessarily... Does it... I guess only from my perspective, because you're so deep into that yourself, it feels like something you... Like a... Like a family photo album or something, as opposed to like maybe what Queer Tattooer book kind of did, which was like a broad intentional community um presentation i suppose were are you trying to, were you trying to be very specific i think like yeah it started off as like yeah a personal project in some ways like trying to have an overview of various practice that are a bit more intentional within with a ritualistic aspect of the of tattooing and how can tattoo and magic and practices and rituals in general can cross over. And I think that's something I had a personal interest I have a personal interest in and I do practice uh, at times and um yeah, I think that was like field research almost to to enrich uh, my own practice and also to present in a book and to potential audience that is interested in the subject the different ways that tattooing can be approached and uh, different setups that exist and yeah, as a way to... Yeah, a way to to discuss possibilities, I think. Because I do think that tattooing is a ritual in itself, doesn't matter how mundane the setup can be. Even if you get a walk-in in a street shop, there is a ritualistic aspect to it. From 
the tattooist point of view and the client point of view potentially but you know we all have our own way of setting up our machine a specific way or our tools a specific way or like the way we set up our stations the way we we communicate with the clients like you know there is steps that we repeat over and over like day in day out and this is ritualistic in itself then like sometimes the ritual is a bit more formal and a bit more vocal but it's always there and yeah i'm interested to i'm interested in practices that acknowledge that side of tattooing and yeah mm. amplify it at times how much do you feel affected by your day prior to being at the studio so like we were chatting about you you living in muswell hill these days which mm-hmm. is a great kinks record later mm-hmm. 70s kinks record album title and i was wondering how long it takes you to ride down to central london and you're like oh it's downhill so maybe half an hour 45 minutes you know like what mm-hmm. else do you do in your morning that helps you prepare as a human being for what could come your way and what you need to give to tattooing in a day? What, cause that you're sober, you're vegan. These are all yeah. huge things that like already shift your energy and you're already centering, in my opinion, similarly myself, it centers my own well being. you know, like it mm-hmm. puts me in the center of being able to give mindfully of myself. I wonder what else you do. Cause of course you're, you love music, right? So music's a big part of, yeah yeah what kind of pulls into your aesthetic as well so what is there anything else that i'm not aware of that you do that i mean i think on days that i'm working uh, like i am especially mindful of having like a yoga meditation practice in the morning i have you know personal routine ritual that i tend to do in the morning to start the day before doing anything and um yeah just on a both mental and physical plane this is something that helps me centering myself and the journey to the studio like i used to live like close to to some places i used to work at and it would be like just a five minute ten minutes walk and i felt like I feel now that I live a bit further away, like actually this transition and this time to arrive in the place is very helpful. Uh, will it be like using public transport or cycling? Don't really matter. It allows for a separation between, yeah, home space and workspace and a transition, a link between the two instead of it being completely like enmeshed. <clears throat> When you lived close, did you find you were the potentially the latest? Like, did you find being so close was uh, kind of tricky? That, w- that was always late, you mean? Yeah, uh, not that you were always late, but I noticed, I mean, mm. like, I can cut it pretty close because I also live five blocks from the studio. Yeah. So I get to do lots of stuff at home before going to the studio. And if you live up in Millsville Hill and you have to, you know, it takes it could take you an hour to get to the studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely like more, I'm a lot, I arrive a lot earlier than I used to, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> You've also been tattooing a long time now, so this is, uh, this is your thing. This is a big part of why you choose to 
exist, right? Because fine art is something yeah. you, you also put time and energy into. Yeah. Yeah, I think like that wing the past few years has definitely been the main focus and I kind of put like fine art a bit on the back burner and I'm going back to trying to rekindle and reconnect with like other practices also at the moment. But yeah, I realize how important tattooing is for me and I acknowledge how big of a part of my life it is and I hope to be able to do it for as long as I can. It's uh, something that gives me a lot and I hope I give it some, you know. Mm. Lots of folks had extra time in Corona and they were pushing a bit farther and deeper into their tattoo practices, or sorry, everything outside of tattooing that you could do alone. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you find yourself getting into nature more? Because I know nature is a part of your wellness as well. So how can you still, because you're up in kind of North London, is there access to nature a lot easier? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely actually like, I'm like the reason why I live why I live where I live is because it's probably of like one of the greenest area in London. There's a lot, there's a few like ancient woodlands that are a few minutes walk from where I live. And uh, yeah, it's very green, very clean hair for London. It's on a hill because of, yeah, where it is. And yeah, it's easy to take my bike and get out of the city and go to either like Hertfordshire or Essex or like Epping Forest. Uh, it's like fairly easy access. And then I feel like I'm outside the city and enjoy a bit of nature, a bit of trail cycling. And it's very, very important and yeah, centering and rejuvenating for me. Having read the amazing non-binary book, that was published, um, which was so, we were just talking about it yesterday, how impressive and how humbling it would have been to have to finish off the book after they passed as family members to be able to make sure that the book went out there. And mm-hmm. in the book, they talked a lot about, um, Genesis talked, or it touched on Epping Forest a few times, as it mm-hmm. is some some kind of major... Is that an ancient forest? I didn't catch that part. I just thought that it was like a big forest. There was some that something that compelled them to be there. Do you know much about Epping Forest? Well, I spend a lot of time in there, but I don't know much about the history of the forests. Um, but this is one of the places I spend a lot of time in, cycling around. Uh, it's... It's a really wonderful place. It's a bunch of like wild deers roaming around and munchak and you know many many different landscapes uh, depending on the time of year. It changes a lot and it's really beautiful to see that and I find it very very important to experience this. Um, yeah. When did you move to London and where did you come from before London? Like, where did you do school? Uh, so I first moved to London in 2010. Um, at, at the time, I had moved from Lyon in France. 
uh, where I was studying for, I lived in Lyon for five years, I think, yeah, five years. And before that, I grew up in the south of France, moved around a bunch with my family, but I was, yeah, all over the south of France, from southeast to southwest. Uh, yeah, when I was in Lyon, I was studying um, political science and gender studies. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I have a degree in, in that field. Um, before studying this, I did like six months of architecture school before giving up on it. But yeah. And the, What's the system like in France? Do they also pay as they do in Germany for you to do um, university? Is it free? It's free. Yeah, yeah. It's free, more or less. Virtually, there was like a thing, like depending on your socioeconomical background, you might have to pay for insurance or some kind of minor fees. But in my, I think it was around that, maybe 300 euros a year, something like this. And it's not for actually like for uni as such. It's like some side stuff. But yeah. From what I remember. Yeah. Wouldn't the world be a different place if people were able to go to school of choice? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That that will change a lot of uh, world dynamics. Like being in England is like very different because when I came to, to London, I studied another degree. I did like fine arts. And yeah, the contrast was very interesting, <laughs> both in like in terms of cost, but also approach to to teaching. Mm. It was obviously very different subject matters, so of course it would be different. But yeah, it was um, it was interesting to to experience the contrast between the two places. Um, and yeah, this is definitely exclusive the way it is in UK. Only a small portion of the population can have access to certain education. And it got worse since I studied as well. I think I was the last year before they changed the fees and they tried tripled the fees or something. So yeah, it's like you already at the time I thought it was ridiculously expensive for what I what it was but yeah it's I mean UK at the moment is in terms of socioeconomics is quite intense so in a post-Brexit way in particular yeah I guess post-Brexit is one of the main factor uh yeah like well, the government. The, yeah. the Tory government is really going at it. And like, you know, I felt like, example, I think like, I mean, I don't keep up too much with the current, like every single like political decision at the moment, just because I find it a bit overwhelming. But the contrast between the way like the, the rise in price of energy is between UK and France, for what I can talk about, is like, you know, as far, as far as I know, in France, they capped it at a certain price, like when like uh, the war in Ukraine started and the gas prices went up. Uh, in UK, there is no cap. 
and in a lot of households it's triple or quadruple in prices like inter like the energy bill so someone that was paying like 50 a month is now paying 200 a month or like 150 a month you know it's quite brutal and bleak <laughs> that is unmanageable for yeah. a, for a necessity like it's exactly we're talking about very basic things and i just read this like headline that there might be some planned blackout in january in in uk like for whatever reason it's like it's mad that there is a planned so, one apparently so yeah like to it was just a headline. I didn't read the whole article, but yeah. You know, in in Johannesburg, they have a blackout that everyone's aware of once a day per okay. per neighborhood. Um, okay. To yeah, just so that and this is prior to the the gas crisis. That's been a method that they've been implementing for. I'm not actually sure I shouldn't say how long, but a couple of friends are Andrews from there or from Cape Town. But yeah, it's really interesting what, you know, all it is is like, like I've always been one to pull out every plug. Like I am that person. And, yeah. and cause you know, whatever phantom power, the concept that like, if something's plugged in, it'll, and if there's, if there's something in a plug and there's any sort of resistor on the other side of it, so like a bulb or anything that will slowly pull a little bit of electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, like electricity doesn't come from trees. I mean, it does, but the way to get it is ju- it just ruin. We're just consistently ruining the earth. Period. You know, Mother yeah. Nature's gonna spit us out and just move on. And until then, I don't know when that is, but we just got to be so every. I think every little thing helps, and I've always felt like that. So I've always been very conscientious. But I used to get uh, made fun of. Yeah, pretty much for being such a hippy dippy person. But if everyone does like a little bit more, it really could help a lot. Yeah, potentially. I, I agree. Like, I think I'm, I don't unplug everything all the time, but I definitely do when, if I leave the house for a few days. And um, yeah, that's something I'm also mindful of. But it's, it's a weird world we live in because like, I mean, I've been doing many things in my day-to-day life with these mindsets, you know, like with like, oh, every little thing I can do to help for what I perceive to be a greater good or like, you know, to be a, a good thing. It is helping, I guess. And I think it's good to, to lead by example, or to, to live a life that feels right for us. Um, part of me is also a bit cynical and wonder <laughs> how much, <laughs> how much difference it actually makes, you know? Well, that's uh, it. I still do it. I will still do it because at the end of the day, yeah, it's the same thing with like veganism, you know, like I can live that way. I'm comfortable living that way. I may as well do it. Mm-hmm. No, it's just like it's it's not that much trouble in comparison to taking an an animal's life. You know, the inconvenience in terms of balance is 
it's not an inconvenience, basically. I mean, do you feel the same way about sobriety? Because those are things I really wanted to imagine. Yeah. We'd circle back to that a lot because those are big, huge, deep parts of our individual lives that we share. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, what came first, sobriety or veganism? I had that look. I can't remember uh, which one was first for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, more or less at the same time, but yeah. also unrelated. Like, I think... I think veganism happened, happened first, or at least in terms of mindset, it definitely was veganism first. And it came from, yeah, like an animal rights, animal liberation perspective and anti-speciesism before anything else. And the sobriety happened more or less around the same time, but because the way I started my sobriety or like, you know, stop my alcohol intakes and whatnot. Uh, it was like in my mind, oh, I'm just having a break, you know? Mm-hmm. I had a heavy few months, heavy few parties, and I was just like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna have a break uh, for a bit. And very quickly people were like, oh, so you're straight right now? And I was like, no, yes, maybe, I don't know. And just, 16 plus years later, I'm still on that break, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was not like, it was not so much of a, okay, I need to get sober and I'm going to take steps towards this. It just kind of was like, oh, okay, I'm just having a little break for a minute and see how I feel about it. And yeah, started to feel a lot better being sober than intoxicated. So I was like, okay. That works for me. <laughs> Did you align yourself or were you kind of aligned with straight edge people because of music and punk and everything? Is that the community you were involved in at, in the beginning? Yeah, to some, ex- to some extent. I mean, I never had like a big like, well, I had at that time a big straight edge group, but not at the beginning. At the beginning, I was very much like, yeah, part of um, squat, cross punk, Scene, let's say, uh, which is not very straight edge at all. But <laughs> that was often. a term that was known around, and that was, you know, an easy, an easy way to communicate, you know, and just like, yes, sure, I'm straight edge, queer edge, whatever. <laughs> just uh, mm. in Lyon, and uh, in Lyon, yeah, yeah, it was in Lyon. And there were, I think, there was some kind of like hardcore straight edge scene, but that was not really my scene. It mm. was, yeah, I was very much like in the squat DIY anarchist space, I guess, you know? Mm. And, um, yeah, started, I remember reading this book. Have you read it? Like Sober Living for the Revolution? No, but I will. I'll have to, no? who wrote it? Pretty, it's quite old now, but uh, I think the name of the author is Gabriel Kuhn. Hmm. American? <laughs> don't remember it was published by um yeah this anarchist press from uh, portland i think uh, i forgot their name now it's a long time ago but, yeah uh, this book is basically a collection of essays and interviews from various sobriety point of view and it's quite interesting and i think it was like something that 
helped me at the time. And I had a handful of friends that were vegan and straight edge as well. But yeah, we, uh, we listened to some hardcore, we listened to some punk, but we were never like the varsity jacket, straight edge wearing type, you know? Yeah. <laughs> to some extent. Like, we yeah. had a few t-shirts saying it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, you didn't get X's permanently tattooed on your hands? Uh, no, <laughs> I did not. I do have some straight edge tattoo, I guess, to some extent. So, so do uh, I. I had to stop and, getting them because I had too many sobriety birthdays. I'd, I'd get some sort of sobriety tattoo every year, and then I'm like, Jesus, like, <laughs> fuck. It's a few. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, there's so much I want to talk about. So... French tattoo culture, how much, yeah. like, of the, you know, port tattoo, uh, maybe criminal tattoo world, like, because your sigil world that I see you develop, which I love so much, is mm-hmm. kind of on the pendulum swing way over here, but it's probably not. It's probably way more close to... um the ritual of the land of which you are from like so are you french 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 or where's your family from or like how how do you yeah i mean as far as i know i'm actually very very <laughs> french <laughs> never done you know like uh, any of those like uh, 23me or whatever like all those red like mm-hmm. all those tests uh, genetic tests whatever so i yeah but as far as i know from family history yeah is very French, mm. everyone, very, yeah, white European French. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I have weird relationship with France. I think, um, I mean, I haven't lived there in, yeah, 12 years. Um, I visit rarely. Um, I, uh, I have issues with the language. Um, and yeah, I haven't tattooed much there. Interesting. And I, even though I started to get tattooed in France when I was like 18, I had no one around me that had tattoos, like no friends, no family members, no one. So it was very much a solitary experience to go into a tattoo studio uh, that was a local place and getting tattooed. Um, but yeah, it took me a while to to find like to find out what a French tattoo culture is because my experience was very yeah solitary, I guess, with it. Even though I got tattooed by in some studios, I. It took a while before I started to connect to, with people that were working as tattooers. That happened in Lyon, and uh, they were mostly coming from the art school background. So yeah, I don't, I didn't have um, much of a connection with the whole French criminal thing. Um, that is probably the most non-historical style of tattooing associated with France. But mm. Do they my think... experience was very much contemporary tattooing, you know. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. 
time period wise too right like exactly um even like I guess because I I I know you as someone who's very informed and and learned around the practices that have that you've done in school and you've met and then you've the output is very much within the tattoo aesthetic. I wondered about like Jean Genet, for instance. Like, do they lump Jean Genet in that world? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I yeah. wouldn't know. I should I should be asking myself that question, but I I thought I'd ask my French friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then, so as far as Britain goes, like you feel connected to British. I mean, most of your body's done by people at, in England, right? In particular, at the yeah. old at the shop down in Clerkenwell at the old into you, right? Yeah, yeah. I got I got more, a lot of work done there uh, by Duncan X. Um, yeah. I feel like on so many levels for yeah tattooing or culture or a lot of things. I feel a lot more connected to to London than any other place. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the first place that felt like home. Mm. Like, yeah. That's and so important. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I question it, but it is a nice feeling every time I come back. I'm like, oh yeah, that's. That feels right. It's did, cool. did you have to do anything to be able to stay once Brexit occurred? You did, right? Did you have to sign into? Did you sign out of France and or what did you do? I didn't have to sign out. I mean, I've been like re, like registered as a resident here for a while, and um, I uh, yeah, there was this like a settled status thing. That is, uh, yeah, that is something that I got. Oh, cool. Not so hard, uh, right? Pretty easy? It was super easy, yeah. It's not like a visa process at all. It was like something you could do on your phone. Oh, shit. I mean, it should be that easy. It should be that easy. Oh, that's great. I remember talking to you about that and wondering, like, does that mean one has had to, you know, do they exclude all the people who aren't registered? Like, or do you have to have done your taxes? Do you have to have health care? Like, because as you know, because you've lived here... How, <laughs> in Germany, how um, well specific and and very richtig things have to be to be. Genau, genau. <laughs> so, do, do you reflect back fondly on your time in Berlin? Yeah, yeah, I do. I'm I'm glad I did it because I think like Berlin was a place I've always wanted to live. I started to visit Berlin as a teen, like when I was like. I think I first came like I must have been like 13 or 14 years old on a school trip or something. I was learning German when when at school before learning English. So we had all those like German school trips and one of them was in Berlin. And that's when I stumbled across my first like squat party and ended up in Copy. Yeah, you did. For some anniversary thing there. And uh, yeah, it definitely impacted a lot of aspects in my life, if not all aspects in my life. Yeah. And for that reason, even though I moved to London instead of Berlin at the time I did, I always thought I wanted to live in Berlin, at least for my teenage self, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I owed it to, to them in a way. And uh I'm really glad I did it. But by the time I lived in Berlin, I think I was too much of a Londoner already. That's hilarious. You know? But that's true. Like, 
your roots are in London and you, and you tried to up, uproot and did you feel like when you moved here that you were going to try and stay or was it kind of like a, you know, I'm going to be here for a while? Yeah, I think part of me always knew it would be like a, a temporary thing, but I wasn't sure where I would go next. Mm. And uh, yeah, yeah, it turns out that's just like UK, London, at least easy. Feels easy to me. Yeah. Even though it's, it's not an easy place, it does. Like you're talking about administration and like, you know, paperwork and stuff. It's so much easier in UK than in Germany. You know, it's like, it's a lot more straightforward. It's a lot easier. And this is something I'm happy. I don't have to spend too much time and energy on. So if I can avoid it, yeah, I probably will take that option, you know? <laughs> I mean, I can relate to, I, I, I mean, there's something to be said for keeping it simple and just like, I've always felt more and more and more like how, I keep going towards less is more and I'm like, wow, there's still more less to, you know, like I still can un, uncomplicate things like D defragment, you know, like an, like an old mm-hmm. computer where you press that defragment button on your computer and it goes and it looks like Tetris for a while. So, <laughs> so I'd love to chat about traveling. Cause that's something that myself, I, I pulled the plug on traveling and um, mm-hmm. always so, uh, hmm. Sometimes I'm concerned for friends because they they seem to travel in in a way where they their life is so shook up that they don't really have like a, a healthy. I mean, my perception is that they're just um. I don't know. This is maybe totally unfair. It's a projection, but uh, it feels like you have a good relationship to traveling. You go when you know it's time. You're not like, as maybe I was, which was like it was the only thing I wanted to do, and mm-hmm. everything else kind of took aside. So when I was back here, I was just always burnt out and compounding mm-hmm. being burnt out on top of being burnt out. Yeah, I think I've definitely been there to some extent, but because I've always had the base and I never went fully nomad, it was manageable. But I had times where I would be in a different country every month so every you know couple of weeks. And, and uh, that was like very intense. And then when... Yeah, COVID and lockdown happened and I got, I was forced into sedentary living. I realized how much of a toll it took on me. Okay. This constant traveling. And I really enjoyed for a time to be sedentary and that was good to, to not be on the go all the time. But I'm reaching that point where um, I acknowledge how important traveling is for me. And, um, yeah, I took my first trip again, like last week, the week before, just went a few days to Amsterdam. Oh, great. Where did you work? Or did you not I work? didn't end up working. I just went to, to meet up with some friends. It was like a, a last minute like plan. I had a friend visiting from, from LA and some from Berlin. And it was just like a nice place to, to meet. And I haven't had, I haven't been to Amsterdam since I was six years old, so I've never been really. I only went there on a family trip as a kid, so that was interesting to discover the city, really, even though it was way too short. Um, yeah, very nice vibe, very interesting place. Um, it's beautiful, people are nice. Uh, what not to like, amazing food, 
really, really lovely vegan food. <laughs> so, like, all right, that's good. And it was nice weather. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's really highlighted to me how important and how comfortable I am in in traveling. It it felt like coming home in a way as well to be on that train and going through Belgium and mm. Netherlands and all that. Even though there are other places I haven't spent, if any time at all in ever, but it felt it felt right and mm. comfortable. And I was like, oh yeah, I did miss that. I miss that a lot. I think it's important to me to to put myself in a different context on the regular. You know, it's in your blood. You like to to uh, breathe different air and see different things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's like, and I think I'm at the stage where I can like balance it out, where I don't overdo it, and where it becomes, or oh, like, exhausting. So because the point of it is to to feel energized, and I've done it in a way in the past where I just felt drained by it. So mm. I just have to to find the balance. But uh, yeah, I think it is something that is important. And took the train and that, I think train people and plane people are completely different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a different experience for sure. Because it was so last minute, I mean, it's, yeah, it's quite funny, but basically like my friend like texted me a few days before, like the week before, like, can you come next week to Amsterdam? I'm like, sure, why not? And I had to book like, I could take a plane or I could take the train, but at the moment, I don't know if that's the same in Berlin, but like airports are proper chaotic mess from what I hear from they like medias, whatever. So, or like, let, and also if there is a train option, I prefer the train option anyway for various reasons. Um, and uh, because it was so last minute, I just booked whatever was available that was very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out that the reason why it was so expensive is because I ended up in like business luxury class, whatnot. And I was like, okay, so that's made for a very lovely travel. Wow. I was like, okay, Shit. that explains the price tag, but also that makes it very, very comfortable and nice and bizarre because I never traveled first class or business class or whatever. So it was like, okay, we're doing this. Sure. Why not? You know? Oh, I'm so happy. You t- what a nice like, kind of surprise. You're like, oh, look at this. Like, yeah. You get to lay down and you- what's business class on a train like? So like, so like uh, it's the Eurostar. So like, I think, I mean, you like you have like slightly like a more comfortable seat, I guess, and like bigger, uh, like a le- more leg room and this kind of stuff. And also you have like a meal and you have drinks and you know and they give you a little napkin and uh, you know and just yeah it's it I think it's like it's grossly overpriced for what it is, but it's also very nice, <laughs> you know. And it's like very quiet and, you know, everyone is just chill, I guess, you know, a lot of professional that are just working on their laptops, so they're not, you know, having a party in the train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not like the train to Prague 
you know, or the train anywhere east of Berlin is always like quite often like a yeah. It's it's in the summer in particular with, with tourists mm-hmm. and you know, uh, there's a reason people are going. It's not necessarily for work. <laughs> yeah, I see. Yeah, I've only took one train out of Berlin once. I went to Warsaw. It was a long ride, a long long ride. I think the first train was not working, so it ended up being like seven hours or something. In summer, with no AC, in one of those like older train, and that was yeah, that was interesting. It was a bizarre experience. Have you been to Warsaw? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It was funny, you know. We took like the train at Hauptbahnhof and like end up in Warsaw Central Station and. We came out of it and I was like, it looks the same. It's crazy. It's like, it, like it's like brutalist architecture, etc. Like I just spent seven hours in a train, like in the in this heat, like and and I basically um in the same place visually at first glance, you know. Mm-hmm. So like it's so bizarre. <laughs> Honestly, it's, I I felt the same. I got out of the yeah. I guess the plane or whatever. I got to town and I was like, huh. It's like Berlin, but just, you know, a little bit more raw. And then in the same week of travel, I then went over to Kiev and I was like, granted, they had just had a, their, in their first or the, in that, that like six, seven years ago, they had the revolution and I had arrived mm-hmm. just after the revolution. So I got out of the train there and it was like a war zone. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, it's, but this is like Warsaw. Or this is like, yeah, this is like Warsaw, but more east. And then then in the same week, I went and went over to Moscow. And I was like, I got out of in Moscow and I was like, whoa. I'm like, okay, this is like Kiev, but like even, you know, it just keeps like compounding <laughs> the like historical maybe trauma and the like collective pain and historical like visible um, takeover or just just how, how, how the the stronghold of the culture and the, I think in particular the government, right. And like how, how and what people had access to, you know, like as you get to Russia and it's all like, or at least my experience getting to Moscow was all very clean and nice and everything. But like behind the doors was where everything still was, uh, painful, I think, you know, but like it was very polished and kind of looked nice, but it, there wasn't, it didn't feel like, you know, like Warsaw, there was still some joy from Berlin. You get to Kiev, there's like a little less joy. And I think I got to Moscow and I was like, the joy was gone. Oh, really? But like not in me, but what it seemed like the, the people were experiencing, like they're just so much more, I guess, oppressed mm. is probably the word. Yeah, I've never made it to Russia or Ukraine. And yeah, that's something I was kind of planning a few years ago but yeah i don't know if it will ever happen now <laughs> obviously uh, yeah it's uh yeah i really wanted to to see it in some ways but yeah i mean i hope that that can happen i mean it, the context is always has always been mostly for me tattooing and meetings and skate parks that's like yeah how i know a city i'm like oh yeah good skate park or like whatever, I can picture the skate park. I know exactly. Yeah. I can know I, in the map. I'm like, okay, there is the meeting. This is where I stayed. This is the tattoo shop, and this, you know, and having gone mm-hmm. to meetings in different places like that was really is really humbling, you know. Um, I was gonna ask you about that. Have you ever? And I guess I know the answer. Have you ever tried going to a meeting? Have you ever gone into recovery? I never did actually. I mean, that's an interesting one. But 
Yeah, I never did. I I did the world sobriety thing like called Turkey, I guess, is the term, or just sure. by myself. Definitely. And um, I never felt the need or the interest in meetings and stuff. Not because I didn't identify with any side of it, or at least what I know of it, but because I was like, mm, I don't feel like I'm, yeah, I need it, so yeah. whatever. But the past few years, I started to consider it out of general curiosity, I guess, to see what it's all about. And uh, because, yeah, because people know, I guess, I'm sober, like clients, friends, acquaintances. And so there is discussion that comes up about sobriety quite a lot and how I became sober and this kind of stuff. And the talks about meetings comes up. And sometimes people are asking me, like, as almost like how how to help them with going sober and this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, my experience is very like, I don't know, to me, it was very simple in a way. So it's hard to me to to tell someone what, what could help them. And that's why like I started to be like, maybe I should go to meetings to see what they're all about and how it works. And so I could see if someone reach out to me if that's i feel that's something that could help them or not or just to have an understanding of the different ways that mm. sobriety and recovery works and can help um mm. yeah I'm, I'm curious about them i'm yet to go i have always had a few friends that go on the regular or on and off and oh yeah. good it's always good to go with a friend you know yeah like to there's always a good cup of tea and some yeah. some cookies. It's always the Brit the British meetings are always so like tea and tea and cakes oriented. It's really nice. You like you always get a hot cup of tea on your way in, either builders or not, and then like a, <laughs> some sort of biscuit. It's really nice. And I mean, I have having spent so much time in London doing the thing that we do, the tattoo thing, and having my like I really have a London loop. I like go to Screen on the Green. I go to like the same grocery store every time. I always stay in Hackney Wick. I, uh, go to the same meetings. There's meetings uh, pretty much around the clock. At, you know the church, um, St. Mary's Church on Upper Road? Essentially, uh, like, right above, oh, yeah. above Angel, right where the road splits. There's that St. Mary's Church. In the crypt mm-hmm. there is where I've met so many nice people. And they've all actually moved here. Like, a, oh, good, really? a good handful of people that I met over the years um, being in London tattooing and going to this meeting. Um, they, uh, the closest of them that I connected with, they all have, uh, been living here now for a, a good long time. There's great meetings in London for sure. Lots of queer meetings, lots of very specific, um, places to kind of get great information and feel community. Mm, nice. When and if you ever feel, you know, I, I know you said you have lots of friends there that also engage, but, um, I can, uh, definitely suggest a couple nice ones. Yeah. So I have one more question and it's not necessarily a question. Maybe it's just a reflection or, um, mm-hmm. mm, or like how, how do how do, so how, so queerness and your community of which essentially, even in the context of tattooing, would you say that a lot of the people who are coming to you are, uh, similarly in that world? Is it something that is important? Like the, your subject matter is is often figurative, can be figurative. You mix figurative and your sigils. Um, mm-hmm. Does that relate to people's? Because your stuff's often historically art, 
um, history based. Mm-hmm. Um, so is queerness attached to that? And is your own connection to your own queerness a part of maybe how and why people find you and want to get something from you? That's inherently in there, like that, that's, yeah. that speaks to people who understand. I think it does. That's something that I always find interesting, but yeah, like I would say 99% of the people I work with on like tattoo projects are people I can have a chat with and I can relate with. And it's not just on a, you know, small talk type of level, like actual interesting discussion and connections are happening with those people most of the time. Mm. And um, yeah, I I do have a lot of mostly queer clients, a lot of queer clients, and I think there is um, a similar interest as mine to use historical images and seeing them through a queer lens. Yeah. Um, oh, that's amazing. And uh, that's something that is, yeah, has been vocalized by several clients. So, yeah, that's that's very, very much part of the experience for for everyone involved. And Cool. Yeah. I thought so. It. Yeah. Because um, you know how sometimes we have crossover clients? Somehow mm-hmm. I haven't had many, you and I, I feel like, it's crazy, but our, I have yet to meet a client that's come to me that has been to you. And I find that so interesting because, yeah, I think there's no, I can't, I, it's hard to believe. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. Do you, do you happen I to think... see folks of your clients that have tattoos by me? Probably not. Hey, there is one I can think of. Yeah that I tattooed uh, who had like piece by, from you. Huh. Um, Maybe we got to make that happen. We're going to manifest that. Yeah. <laughs> so we I can agree. have a conversation like they can speak with you and then they can bring the conversation to me and we'll have this nice triangle of yeah. connection. <laughs> exactly. What, what do you think you're going to do with your day? So it's now just early afternoon. Yeah. Um, probably gonna do a bit of life admin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to do a bit of that at the moment. And, uh, uh, let's see, maybe go for a bike ride, actually, if it's nice. Great. Is Probably it nice there now? I... Sorry? Is the weather nice? Because you had a big yeah. heat wave a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, it is quite warm, but I don't mind it. I don't mind the, the warmth. I, I like it. So do I. I'm, I'm a bit of a lizard, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I like to to sit on a rock in the sun so I can cycle in when it's a bit warmer. <laughs> Thank you what so much. You? Uh, I think I'm going to pick up the dog and yeah. and then uh, maybe go into the world. I already I had a meeting this morning. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. in the park and um yeah i'll grab the dog because andrew's gonna work tonight i think and just be chill i oh there's always lots of stuff to do there's a like solidarity print network thing i'd like to make a i've been in the process of giving them 
a design that I haven't committed to yet, but uh, Universe has made skateboards recently, so that's the mm-hmm. of the newest um, kind of managerial mind waiting, like trying to keep the keep the shit on the on the on the right track without people forgetting that they told me they'd do something that I paid them to do. You know, like yeah, that kind of stuff. Just that kind of stuff. Same, similar to you, and some immigration stuff. So life admin as well. Yeah, there's always oh, okay. some always some sort of. Uh, I'm looking forward to that i really hope it's been nine years of being here i'm really i really am looking forward to hopefully going into that next level of being here and having a passport and the ability yeah, you, to stay you're in the process of doing a citizenship mm-hmm. i mean i have nice. i have his the family from here but it's one generation too far away oh, okay yeah well it was so nice to see you. Thank you. And uh, what a treat to spend time with you. And you gave, um, yeah, such precious information and uh, insight for me because I get to learn some. I learn even more about you in this way. Well, thank you. It was really nice to to catch up. A pleasure. Always Do you think... a pleasure. And yeah, I'll have to. I'll visit Berlin again soon. I think in the coming months. Yeah, so... I would love that. And if, if perhaps you feel like you have the desire to work and you want to work over at the studio, let me know. You're more than welcome and no pressure. Cause you, you have a, uh, you have a long history here. So there's always lots of people to see and to tattoo with as well. So yeah, it's, but yeah, sounds great. I would love that actually. I look forward to it. Okay. All right. Good to see you. Thank you for your time and energy. Thanks to you. And sending you lots of love from Berlin and we'll see you soon. Yeah. Sounds okay. good. Ciao. And thank you so much. Bye. Bye.